It was windy today. What do you mean it was windy? It was really windy out. Constantly, like 12 knots are windier Hmm. all day long. This is Flying with a Purpose, a podcast brought to you by Flight Review and Melbourne Flight Training. I'm David Allen, a student pilot currently pursuing my private pilot certificate. And I'm Derek Fallon, a certified flight instructor and the owner of Melbourne Flight Training. Got a question about flight training or aviation in general? We'd love to answer it. Details about how to send us your questions will be at the end of the show. Now, let's get to the good stuff. So I've started listening to this new podcast uh, called the Fly Maui Podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's this couple, uh, the Cobbles, and they live in Maui. And they before they, fl- they, before they moved out there, he had a personal minimum of... Uh, of, it had to be under 15 knot crosswind or 15 knot wind for him to like, if it was over that, he wouldn't fly. So when he gets out to Maui and he starts to start flying again out there, they're like, if, if that's your personal minimums, you're never going to fly because they have just crazy crosswinds out there. And it's like, if it's blowing 30, they're like, yep, that's normal. Like, wow. <laughs> that's nuts. That's, like, that's crazy. They have the trade winds out there. I think that that's good though. I mean, those those guys got to be so good with their crosswind landings and just handling wind in general. That's incredible. Yeah, uh, I feel like people put too much of a limit on their winds, and then they can't fly the airplane when just like normal situations arise, like a forty five degree crosswind at like fifteen knots, which is technically half of what a one seventy two should be able to handle. Right. And you get with people who are at the commercial level or higher, and they, they can't handle the crosswind because whatever rules were set by their flight school, they weren't allowed to go out and fly in those, that type of wind, like as a total wind. Oh, total wind limitation, like 15 knots. Well, it's not a direct crosswind. We should be able to practice this, and then they can't do it. And I, I've seen it all the way up at the airlines, like where guys couldn't do crosswind landings. People couldn't do cro- pilots couldn't do crosswind landings as professionals. It's kind of scary. So um, this is not what we were going to talk about on this episode, but I'm going to bring it up. Um, the I just watched a video on the finer points. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Jason Miller, mm-hmm. uh, he's a CFI out in California. Uh, he's got a great YouTube channel. Uh, he's got a great podcast. I highly recommend you subscribe to both. He just did, he's done a series of episodes recently talking about crosswind landings. And one of the things he talked about in his crosswind landings was, it's not the strong crosswinds that'll get you. It's the, it's the small ones. So mm-hmm. for, if I'm going to engage in a cross, and by the way, I don't, I, I'm not good at crosswind landings right now, but when you're, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good We're at working work, on it. <laughs> I'm not good at landings at all, to be honest. Um, but he talks about when you go uh, encounter a stiff defined crosswind, there's a technique for that. And so uh, as a, as a pilot, it's easy to say, Oh, I need to do this technique and put this correction in. And I need to do the, the wing low method or the crab method going to the wing low. And I know how to land the airplane on the center line, you know, opposite rudder, keep the nose pointed on the runway. But he says you get on this, on the very light crosswinds, like you'll end up side loading the airframe much more readily than you would with a stiff crosswind. Can you, can you speak to that? Oh yeah. Because you have half a mile before you touch down 
in a strong crosswind to figure it out. You know, you're coming in, you're, you gotta, I like the crab kick method. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the wing low method. I'm just not. Everybody is throwing their phone down on the ground right now going, (laughs) I can't believe you said that. I, I just don't. I mean, when you go and you fly big airplanes, that's all you can do. So, I mean, why are we, why are we like slipping the airplane, cross controlling it down to the runway? It doesn't make any sense to me, but in a, in a, in a big crosswind, you have time like from a half mile or more out to feel the wind out and set the crab angle and keep the flight path of the aircraft going to the center line. And then you know, based on how far the, the, the spinner or the nose of the aircraft is off the center line, how much rudder you're going to need to kick to get it there, right? Because you can just kind of feel it. So you're just going to press that right rudder down until the nose comes around and lines up with the center line while simultaneously and proportionally applying opposite aileron to keep the aircraft from drifting in the direction of the, where you're pushing the rudder. So you can kind of feel it out before you get there, like crosswind or like a crosswind change. Like, you know, you have air above the trees and it's going one way and then like mechanical turbulence causes the, that wind to change slightly. Yeah, that can get you. That's tough because you you may go through a couple transition levels as you get closer to the ground and what you thought you had felt out a half mile before the runway is no longer that when you're in the flare. I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen it when we've, when we've been flying, but like there, where there's gaps in the trees at Melbourne, there'll be a different wind coming through those gaps. Like it'll be coming like at an angle, uh, over the trees and then it'll come straight like 90 degrees to the airplane where the gaps in the trees are. And so like if like you're having to press the rudder, change your aileron inputs each time you pass a change in the obstructions on the side of the runway. I haven't noticed that. What I have noticed is when I'm coming in, uh, at one end of the runway, we have a line of trees and you're talking about the mechanical turbulence. Uh, this has nothing to really to do with crosswinds specifically, but I'm sure it's, it's all part of turbulence and winds and, and obstructions and the way that air develops through things close to the ground. Uh, when I could be lined up with two reds and two whites on the, on the pappies. And as soon as we come over that tree line, boom, I'm at three reds and then four reds. And all of a sudden we get really low. So being able to plan for those winds, those changing winds, a changing environment as you approach the runway environment is something that I definitely haven't figured out yet. Yeah. It's, it's really tough because you have, uh, especially in Melbourne, as you're coming over the tree line, you have increasing performance on the aircraft as the wind comes up over the top of the trees and it kind of goes vertically and maybe at an angle and it hits the airplane directly against the flight path. So that increases the indicated airspeed, increases the performance of the aircraft. As you come out to the other side of the trees where the wind is going flat against the ground, you know, now that wind isn't going directly with the relative wind. So it slows the velocity of the air going down over the aircraft and you lose performance. So I always tell people like, Keep the power where it is as the airspeed starts to increase, as you start to hit this air that's pushing against the front of the airplane. Because when you come out the other side, if you take the power out, all of a sudden you're going to lose 10, 15, 20 knot loss on the other side of the tree line. And if you don't have the power in there, then the plane's going to sink. And that's how you ended up with the three and four reds each time. Because, you know, you got to keep that plane aimed at the flight path and kind of push yourself through that wind. 
Um, but I think going back to the crosswinds, I think that the lighter crosswinds get people because they can't see the difference between the flight path of the aircraft and the center line as well. So if it's like a light crosswind and you just kind of are maybe 10 degrees off the runway heading on the nose, then, you know, you're going to, yeah, you can a side load kind of not so nicely, right. <laughs> but not even had realized because the, the flight path of the aircraft's moving down the center line, but you don't notice that there's not a huge difference between the, the, the heading of the aircraft and the heading of the runway. Right. What are the kinds of things that I could do or that a, that a, that a pilot uh, and a, a student pilot and a CFI can do to, to practice transitioning from uh, in, into the, into the landing flare uh, appropriately during, during those, the, those light crosswinds or those heavy crosswinds? The CFI needs to demonstrate this clearly before it's done wrong the first time. That's so very important. A lot of people don't want to take landings from their students. They, the student doesn't want to relinquish controls of the airplane because they feel like they're paying for it. This is very important. I'm paying for it. I need to get every landing that happens in the airplane. Let the CFI go to go somewhere like Valkyria. Runway 14, you're going to have a 090 wind every one day or every day. You're going to have a... I'm getting tongue twisted. Zero nine zero wind every day, uh, pretty much, and you're going to have a left crosswind every day on one four. So go there, have the CFI demonstrate the landing, in a, and this is not gusting winds, but just a consistent, steady wind. Have them demonstrate the landing and how much input it takes, because as the aircraft slows, it's going to take more and more input, and make sure the CFI emphasizes. I'm putting more, I'm putting more, more, look more aileron, more aileron. Because a lot of people like give up on the controls once they touch down. They're like, oh, I'm done. I, I have a bad habit yeah. of doing that. Oh, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> you're not done. Fly the airplane to the <laughs> That's the downs. worst time to be done, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, you're going to have to continue to increase the rudder and aileron pressure as you touch down and show that very clearly and illustrate that to the student by allowing them to watch. Now, there'll be, there's some debate about whether you should allow the, the student to, f to be on the controls with you uh, when you're doing that. But what I would say is allow them to at least see how much control input is being made. So ask them to look at the controls and the landing. So divide their attention between the, the controls and looking outside so they can see how much you have in. Um, and then have them go up, you know, do a touch and go or do a full sub taxi back or whatever, whatever you want to do and do it again, but have the student do it and have the CFI I kind of talk them through, look, more, more, more rudder. You hear me say that all the time. Like, right rudder. Right rudder. Yeah, like more aileron, left aileron. Like, and, and I say that I, I say specifically what the control inputs verbally should be to the student so that they can learn. Now, a lot of times people don't pick that up because they're in kind of a moment of they're distracted by the fact that they're flying this airplane. So they're not really hearing what their instructor is saying. So, and if you grab the stick, you know, sometimes that's negative learning because you're just fixing it for them each time. So you got to kind of show them again. If they don't get it the first time, be like, okay, let me show you one more time. Right. Take the controls from them. Fly one more landing. Show them again. And do that as many times as it takes for them to see the inputs that, that are required. And then I would build a really good foundation of crosswind technique by allowing them to, like, once they get it down do like three or four more landings by themselves, you know, be like, all right, it's on you now, you know, and then that, that'll pretty much 
solidified, but it's got to be, it's almost got to be a, con, a, a steady wind, a consistent uh, wind, nothing variable, nothing gusty, so that they can actually feel the airplane. And, and it's the same inputs almost each time. What, what about, you said, you know, not gusty winds. What, what do you do for that kind of a situation? I just, I don't really know that I've encountered that too much. I mean, obviously that's something you're going to kind of build up to. That, that was today. Yeah. It was steady all day. Just steady. Set, you had steady winds today or steady gusting? No, steady winds. Okay. Gusting is a, a little bit different because, it, you know, gusts come out of nowhere and they require an immediate and abrupt control input to correct. It, you know, typically like if you're, you know, over the runway, floating down the runway at 50 or 45 knots and you haven't, you maybe you're just uh, touching down with full flaps End model can float all the way down the runway with 40 degrees of flaps, well below rotation speed. So, you know, if you get caught with a gust, you're going to have to make a very abrupt and full control movement to stop the airplane from like lifting up or, or, you know, leaving the runway, uh, the ground effect, like leaving ground effect or coming up like that. So, um, it's really hard to train those situations. I mean, I, I have a lot of hours and I have trouble sometimes landing in gusty winds. It's always a challenge, but I think you learn to handle gusty winds better by flying in steady state, strong winds than you do by like going out and experiencing or trying to find gusty conditions to fly in. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was not what we were going to talk about today. We'll talk Hi. about the, the other stuff in the next, the next episode. <laughs> uh, but Hey, thanks for, thanks for joining us here uh, on flight review. I'm sorry. On uh, flying with a purpose. What, what are we doing now? <laughs> we're doing flying with which, a purpose. Which one is to this? You by flight review. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We love you as an audience and um, we're having a good time answering your questions. So cool. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Flying with a Purpose. If you'd like us to consider answering your question on the show, send us an email to podcast at flightreview.tv. That's podcast at flightreview.tv. We would love to hear from you. Also, check out the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash flightreview for the latest flight training episode. Derek is trying to turn me into a pilot in front of the world. Finally, if you like this show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out to have some five-star ratings, especially when we are just starting out. Again, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of Flying with a Purpose. Music